0: ahead and dismiss our kids to kids church (laughs) well this morning's message should resonate with just about all of us Uh, we've all been at a place where we think things are as bad as they can possibly be only to find out that they go from bad to worse. Uh, you 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 say, okay, this is the last straw, and then the last straw inevitably is not the last straw. You, you, know, you know, what, what did Popeye say? I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. Uh, we, we, we've all been there. We've all been at a place whenever things go from bad to worse. And so I pray this morning that as we... Uh, as we dive into God's Word, that we will be comforted by the presence of God when things go from bad to worse. If you have your Bibles, we will be back in the book of 1 Samuel. And everybody said... <laughs> it was a little mixed emotion there. Uh, we, we took a couple of weeks uh, break as we were in Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. But we're back in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 30. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we will finish... The book of First Samuel, uh, and so First Samuel chapter thirty is where we will be. So, if you have your Bibles, First Samuel chapter thirty, <clears throat> verse one, and then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on, the Zik- and on Ziklag. And it overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone. And they carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring to me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue all. So David went, he and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Besor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued, he and four hundred men, two hundred who were too exhausted to cross the brook of Besor, remained behind, and they found an Egyptian in the field, and brought him to David, and gave him bread, and he ate, and they provided him with water to drink, and they gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins, and he ate. And then his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant of, a, of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev, on the Karathites, and on that which belonged to Judah, and on the Negev of Caleb. We burned Ziklag with fire. And then David said to him, Will you bring me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by your God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring you down to this band. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because all of the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And then David slaughtered them from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. And so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. And David brought it all back. So David captured all of the sheep and the cattle which the people drove ahead of their livestock. And they said, this is David's spoil. When David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David and who had also been left at the brook of Basor, they went out to meet David, and they met the people who were with him. And the David approached the people and greeted them. And then all the wicked, worthless men among those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except to every man, his wife, and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. And David said, You must not do so, my brothers. With what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered us into our hand, the band that came against us, and who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is he who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays in the baggage, and they shall share alike. So it has been from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordination, and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Let's pray. God, as we see, your providence, your grace, your mercy. As we see your wisdom, uh, may we be comforted with your presence. May you speak to our hearts through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I want to remind us of where we are in the story and what is is, uh, being taken place in the book of 1 Samuel. Remember, over the last several weeks, David, as we've been uh, walking with David, David has, uh, he has become aligned with the Philistines. Remember, David? David sought refuge from Saul. Saul was trying to kill him, and so David was running from Saul, and as he was running from Saul, he seeks refuge in the camp of the Philistines. And when he seeks refuge in the camp of the Philistines, he is, he is aligned with his enemies. And then David is conscripted into battle with the Philistines against the Israelites. And, and he has, he has painted himself into a corner and now he's about to go, he's about to be forced to go into battle against Israel and, and he doesn't know how he's going to escape this mess. He has found himself in a dilemma. He has painted himself into a corner and now he is going to have to, to figure out a way to get out of this only that God has delivered him. The Philistines didn't trust David, and so as David goes up to battle against the Israelites, God delivers him, and David is, finally, I can, I can be delivered, and I am tired of running, I am tired of hiding, I have been, since chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, David has been running He has been running from Saul. He has been running from the Philistines. He has been eluding death. He has been eluding destruction. And David is tired. He is worn out. And now, finally, David thinks, I get to go home. Ziklag is about 60 miles from where David is now. And I can only imagine that that 60-mile journey home was the longest 60 miles that he had ever traveled in his life. But he's on his way home. He's going to be able to go home and see his wife and see his children. He's going to be able to sit in his easy chair for the very first time in a long time david is looking forward to not having to run he's looking forward to not having to deal with with the 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 toil of battle and war and 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 the the all of the the difficulty that comes along with and the emotional trauma and mental trauma that 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 comes along with with, with what he's been going through and this is where david is And he makes that 60 mile long journey home. And as he nears the city, he sees the smoke. He smells the all too familiar smell of a city that has been burned. And he enters into his home only to find it plundered, all of his livestock gone. His wife is gone, his children are gone, and David is done. That's where we are in the story. And I imagine that many of us have been there, amen? I remember my wife and I had just gotten married. We were broke. I mean, like rolling pennies for gas broke. You know, we were broke. And, you know, the house that we had bought, that we shouldn't have bought because we didn't have any money, came with a home warranty. And we're like, at least we don't have to worry about the home warranty. At least we don't have to worry about the air conditioner, the refrigerator, the washer, dryer. Well, inevitably, inevitably, after... After we, you know, because every time they come out to do the home warranty, it's like, it's like a hundred bucks for a deposit. And so, you know, you're having to call them every other week to come out because your air conditioner keeps breaking. And so, you know, every time you call them out, it's a hundred bucks, it's a hundred bucks, it's a hundred bucks. And they, 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 they put a little duct tape on it and they, you know, they, 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 they get it back working for another week or two until it breaks again until the warranty runs out. Right. And then as soon as the warranty runs out, well, then, oh, well, you know, it's going to cost you $5,000 to replace your air conditioner. And things just go from bad to worse. And so you replace the air conditioner only to find out that a couple weeks later, the washing machine goes out. And only to, and you know, you, it, it just, it snowballs. It snowballs. And then and then only, you know, you, you get the air conditioner fixed and you get the washing machine fixed or replaced. And then, and then you go outside. And- car and what happens click 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 and you're like are you kidding me? You know now I've got it you know now the battery's dead in the car and you go and you 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 replace the battery in the car and then all of a sudden you know you you get home and one of the kids is sick and you've got to go to the doctor and you've got to pay copays and then you know the other one falls and you know he's got stitches and you've got to go to the hospital and now now you're looking at an emergency room bill instead of just a copay and and it just goes from bad to worse, and you're like, okay, I'm done. I give up. When it rains, it pours. There were many of us, just a few months ago, just a few years ago, your whole life was completely turned upside down when your home's flooded. And then, you know, you you piece things back together you, you you finally get things back together and and then something else happens. A loved one dies. You know, just, as just as your life is getting back to normal. Well, I want us to look, because I believe as we look at this passage, we can all identify with David, because things went from bad to worse. Just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. But what's interesting is this happens to David. And what is the significance of that? I believe it has great significance. Who is David? David is the ordained, designated king of Israel. If there was anybody with whom the favor of God rested, it was David. David was a man after God's own heart, David was a man whom God had set apart from his mother's womb. David was a man that whenever Samuel went in to ordain and, and and anoint the next king, David wasn't even there. Yet God had already ordained him and set him apart. And Samuel got there and he looked at all of Jesse's sons and he said, he said, Is this everybody? Because none of these are your king. And he said, Well, we, we got you know the runt out in the field keeping watch over your sheep. He said, bring him here. And he said, this is the next king. This is the one whom God has anointed and whom God has appointed to be the king. For God does not look at the outward, but man does. God looks at the inward. God looks at the heart. And this is the king. And this is whom we're talking about. Whom the favor of God rested. And if things can go from bad to worse for David, for the king of kings, for the king of Israel... How shall we think that we are exempt from suffering? I believe that this chapter is a foreshadowing of the king, the ordained designated king being the suffering servant. I believe that this is a foreshadowing of a future king who would be the suffering servant. There's a king who would come from the line of Jesse, from the line of David, who would be a suffering servant. There is a king and his name is Jesus. Isaiah said as a man afflicted. Isaiah said he's a man of grief, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, that, that Jesus was the suffering servant. And that's what Israel couldn't get their brains around. They couldn't wrap their brains around the idea that their king, that their Messiah, would be one who suffered, would be one who endured hardship and trial after trial after trial. But if they were careful and they paid attention to God's providence through his scripture, they would know that Jesus was not the first king who suffered. But that there was a king that came before Jesus named David, who was the suffering servant. And so the question I have to us is if King David suffered, if Jesus suffered, why do we think that we are exempt from hardships, from trial, from tribulation? In fact, Jesus tells us in the book of John chapter 16, he is very frank and very blunt with his disciples. As Jesus says. In verses 14, 15, and chapter 14, 15, and 16, right before Jesus is about to be delivered over to the hands of Pilate and be crucified, Jesus takes chapter 14, 15, and 16 in John, and he gives this long dialogue or this long monologue to his disciples as to what they should expect. And at the very end, at the very end of chapter 16, he leaves them with this. Chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. But listen to what he says. In this world, you have tribulation. It wasn't a, a may, possibly, you know, there may come a time whenever things might get tough. There is a definitive Proclamation in this world in the world that you live in in the, the circumstances that you live in because we live in a fallen world because we are sinners because we live amongst sinners, because we are living under the curse, we will have tribulation. this idea that that God and his people will be exempt from hardships, from trial, from tribulation. That if you love God and you have enough faith that you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise is, is, is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no truth, there is no validity to a prosperity gospel that is contrary to everything in God's Word. Every. Every character whom God used throughout all of Scripture has endured a great trial, hardship, and tribulation. Everyone from, from Abraham all the way through the New Testament. Everyone from, from Adam to Cain and Abel and Enoch, Abram, Sarah, Moses, Noah, David, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all of the prophets, Amos, Obadiah, Hosea, every one of them endured hardships, trial, tribulation. You go to the New Testament, you see every one of the disciples martyred for their faith. James, Peter, Matthew, you see even the disciples of the disciples, Polycarp, the apostolic fathers, Justin Martyr, killed for their faith. Everyone throughout history have suffered tribulation. So why do we think that we're exempt? But I want us to look at David's response because I believe that David's response really speaks to his heart verse 6 chapter 30 Moreover David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him for all the people were embittered each one because of his sons and his daughters Now let me let me when it rains it pours when it goes you know whenever things go from bad to worse this is where we are not only not only has David come home and he's found his entire his entire home burned his wives and his children have been kidnapped, but now the very people whom he's been leading are trying to kill him. That's a bad day. They said, "This is all David's fault. You're our king. You're our you're our leader. And if 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 this is what you are leading us into, then then I don't want to have any part with you. And this is all your fault." And they begin to to to, to seek to stone David. This is a bad day for David. And notice David's response. Look at the end of verse six. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And as David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, I want us to notice something about the text. He strengthened himself not just in the Lord, but in the Lord his God. I want you to notice that David's God was a personal God. That David runs to his God because David's God is a personal God. That David is not that, that... the God of David is not some, some abstract God. It's not some, some God that, that is out there someday that, that maybe one day David may understand the grace of God. No, David had a personal relationship with his God. And so in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of, of whenever things go from bad to worse, whenever things can't possibly get any worse and then they do, David runs to his God, his personal God because God is not an abstract God he is not a God who maybe someday will provide grace David's God your God my God is a personal God I want to call your attention to the book of Psalm chapter 23 this is a very familiar passage for most of us Psalm chapter 23 begins the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. The Lord, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Something happens between verse 3 and verse 4. In verse 4, David walks through the valley of the shadow of death. David endures tremendous hardships, tremendous trial, tremendous pain, tremendous difficulty. And I want us to notice what happens to the personal pronouns. In verses 1, 2, and 3, it's God, He, His. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for sake. And then what happens in verse 4? What happens to the personal pronouns? It goes from a third person to second person. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's not God will, God will, but it's you will. All of a sudden, in the midst of hardship, trial, whenever David is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, God is no longer a distant God, a third person God, but all of a sudden, he is second person. He is right there with him. And for the rest of the psalm, the personal pronouns are in second person. I will fear no evil for you, your God, my God, you are right here with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You will anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As David walks through hardships and walks through trials, all of a sudden, the God that he worshipped in third person becomes a God that he knows very personally. David strengthens himself in God by remembering God's promises that he has made to David. Not just that he has made in abstract, but the promises that he has made to David. Remember that David sat with Jonathan, and Jonathan told David, He said, God will 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 never allow you to suffer harm that God will God will protect you that he will allow you to be the king that he will he will anoint you and, and and ordain you as king and Saul will not prevail over you David is remembering those very personal promises and so as we endure hardship as as it rains and it pours and you go from bad to worse how do we find strength We remember God's personal promises to you. We remember that God is a personal God. We remember that Jesus died for my sin. That God has given me grace. Not only is David strengthened that God is a personal God, but I want to notice exactly David's response. So, so he recognizes that God is a personal God and the second aspect of David's response is he runs to God's presence. Look at verse 7. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 7. Immediately, David said to Abiathar, who is Abiathar? He is the priest. He's the only one left. Remember, Saul has killed them all. There is only one priest that is left, and it's Abiathar. What is the role of the priest? The role of the priest is to intercede on behalf of the people, is to mediate between God's presence and His people. And so David remembers, I have access to the very presence of God. Now this is something that I don't want us to miss, church. David has not spoken to God in the text that we have. David has not spoken to God since chapter 23 of Samuel. This is a man after God's own heart. This is God's ordained and designated king. And yet there has been seven chapters where we have no record of David accessing God. We have no record of of David pursuing and seeking after God. But all we have is David running for his life, David enduring hardship, David, David running to, to find safety and security in, in the Philistine camp rather than in the, in the arms of God. We see David running from God. And even in the midst of David running from God, chapter after chapter after chapter, whenever David is hit. With, with overwhelming tragedy and overwhelming hardships and overwhelming difficulty. When it goes from bad to worse, when it rains and it pours, and David is overwhelmed, what does he do? He says, God, I know I haven't, I know I haven't sought Your presence in months, years, but I need You now. And he goes to the priest's and he says, God, I need to hear from you. I need to know that you are with me. I need your direction. I need your wisdom. And what does he find? He finds a God who is abounding in grace and loving kindness and compassion. David hasn't spoken to God since chapter 23. Yet when he does, God is near to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, verse 18, tells us that God is near to the brokenhearted. And God saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, you and I don't have Abiathar, we don't have a priest that has an ephod that we can say, okay. Am I supposed to take this job or that job? Am I supposed to go to this school or that school? We have something far greater. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we have a high priest who is much greater than the high priest of the old. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, but we have one who has been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And look at at verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may have mercy and find grace in our time of need. In the midst of your hardship and your trial, when things go from bad to worse, when you get home and you find out that your air conditioner's broken and that the car doesn't work and you don't know where the next mortgage payment's coming from, let alone the electricity bill or the water bill, and you don't know where it's coming from and you're, you're, you, you show up the next day only to find out that you've been laid off because the economy's turned or the project's been ended and, and, and when it rains and it pours, when everything in your life has gone from bad to worse, we have two responses that are, that are pictured for us in this chapter. We must run to our personal God. The only way for you to run to your personal God is to know that He is your personal God. There is only one God and there is only one king and his name is Jesus. But the question I have is, is he your king? And the answer to that question is yes. He's your king because he's the only king. But follow this illustration with me if you will. If you lived in a very small town, that had only one doctor. That doctor would be your doctor because of the fact that he was the only doctor. But then one day, your little girl gets sick. And all of a sudden, her fever is up to 103, 104. And you don't know what's wrong. You don't know if she's got a virus. You don't know if she's got a bacterial infection. You don't know what's going on, but you know that she is sick and that there's nothing that you can do. You are powerless to make her better. And so you call upon the doctor, the only doctor, your doctor, and all of a sudden that doctor shows up at your house. And that doctor, by his skilled hand and by his wisdom and by his his giftedness, He is able to prescribe medicine. He's able to, by His healing touch, take that daughter that you love dearly and make her well. Well, all of a sudden, that doctor becomes your doctor in a way that He never was before because you have experienced His healing touch. Church, Jesus is King. He is King and He is Lord and He is Savior because He is the only King. He is the only Lord and He is the only Savior. But if you have not experienced His saving work in a personal way, then you cannot say that He is your Savior like David said. You cannot run to Him in a time of trial and difficulty and hardship because you don't know Him. Jesus said, all of those who are weary and heavy laden, come to Me and I will give you rest. The message of the Gospel, Jesus says, all of those who come to Me, I will in no wise cast them out. But we must understand that God is our personal God, that Jesus is our personal Savior, and we need to run to Him and cry to Him and ask Him for His saving grace. And when we do, we are guaranteed by His grace and by His character and by His mercy that He will heal us, He will forgive us, He will show us grace. And then we can know Him in a personal way. And not only can we know Him in a personal way, but we can rest in His promises. We can respond like David to a personal God and experience His personal presence. My prayer this morning is that you will be comforted by God's presence because He is a personal God. Let's pray. God, I thank You. I thank You that You meet us where we are. That even with David, if we have been running from You, if we have not not sought You, if we have not... If we have left ourselves to our own devices and we have sought no effort to know you for chapters in our lives we thought we could do it on our own and after trying it on our own we go from bad to worse if that's you this morning maybe you need to come maybe you need to come and know Jesus on a personal level Is He going to make your life better? No. Is He going to fix all your problems? No. Is He going to give you comfort and peace in the midst of tribulation? Absolutely. In this world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome this world. That was the message of Jesus to His disciples. You will have hardships, you will have trial. you will have difficulty, but I have overcome this world. God's presence doesn't promise us exemption from hardships, but grace in the midst of hardships. David found peace in his personal God and in the presence of God. If you need peace this morning, may you come to Jesus. May you bring your brokenness, your hardships, your sins, Bible tells us that God demonstrated his great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe you need to come to this altar and just weep like David wept. Maybe you need to come to this altar and cast yourself before the very throne of God and beseech your high priest to find grace and mercy. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, may today be a time where you find the presence of a personal God. And we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray.